0: Good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6. That's where we'll be today. My name is Jason Van Nuss, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Crosspoint Church. Uh, pastor David is absent today. He, is <clears throat> he and Miss Linnell are uh, anticipating, don't blow their phones up, there's no news, uh, their oldest daughter having their second child. Um, it's supposed to be around this time, so instead of playing to preach and having to leave last minute in case something happened, he just went ahead and afforded uh, me the opportunity to preach for him today, an opportunity I'm very privileged and uh, excited to have. So again, I have no news. I'm not breaking Roger's grandchild three news. That's not what we're doing here. I'm here just uh, just in case that happened, and that's what they're expecting. So they're up there with her. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you today, our, our title of the sermon today is Discovering Contentment. Man, what a challenging message to to prepare for, a challenging message to deliver, and I'm sure a challenging message for you to hear in our American consumer material culture. How do we become content as Christians? Um, And I would even stipulate that our culture has actually branded this term contentment with negativity. Negativity. When you hear someone say, oh, well, they're content, they're, they're implying that they don't have drive, that they don't have ambition, that they're not joyful, that they don't, they don't want to succeed, and that is exactly the opposite of what our passage today is going to talk about. Last week, we spoke on rest and our life group studies. If you're, if you're not a part of a life group, I implore you, I urge you, get involved. It's essential to what we do here at Cross Point. But last week in our life group, we studied, and last, last Sunday's sermon, we talked about rest. And how resting in God is not laying on the couch. Resting in God is an active engaging in what God has done for us, the victory He has accomplished for us. And when we face trials and tribulations, we don't just go lay on the couch, we rest in what God has done for us. And that's what contentment is from the biblical sense. Contentment is not saying, well, I have no ambition or drive or motivation. Contentment is saying, God is my ambition, my drive, and my motivation. The world says it's negative. The world brands it as being this passive term, and it's not passive at all. It's the exact opposite. So what I would stipulate to you today is that contentment, from a biblical perspective, is not the lack of ambition or drive. Here's what contentment is. Not the lack of ambition or drive. It is letting God be Lord of your ambition and your drive. Think about that. It's not the lack of ambition or drive. It is letting Him be the Lord of your ambition and your drive. Knowing that He is your portion. That you are content in Him. And everything else is peripheral. That's contentment in God. So with with that said, And the understanding that our culture has branded that because of this um, superficial or commercial Christianity, let's move in directly to today's passage. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, then we're going to jump on to 17 through 19. So read with me here as we go to God's word for direction and guidance in all that we do. Verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Skipping down to verse 17, for as the rich, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and become and be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves. As a good foundation in the future, storing up treasure for themselves, good foundation in the future, so that we may take hold of that which is truly life, truly life. What amazing passage here today, and we're going to go through this. And I want to start off by telling you that Paul's writing to Timothy, kind of towards the beginning-ish of his ministry as a pastor, Um, and so he's writing him and he's warning him about. er, He's sending two warnings, a warning to people, about two people groups. One is about the group of people who desire above anything else to be wealthy, to be rich. And then at the end, 17, 18, 19, he's writing to Timothy and he's explaining how do you minister to people who are rich? How do you help them see how they should use their wealth and use their resources? Again, a difficult passage to prepare for. Probably one to hear, based on many of our lifestyles, the way, the way we live, where we live in American consumer material culture, but I hope and pray and know, in fact, that the Word of God has, a, has much to offer on this topic. So, if you know me, if the life group studies that I write, when I preach, I'm real big on context. And we started in verse 6, but to truly understand verse 6, we must look at verse 5 because verse 5 gives us the surrounding danger, the actual root of the warning that Paul is giving to Timothy about these people in his region. And verse 5 says this, uh, with constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of So he is writing, Timothy, saying, look, there are people in your region, maybe even in your church, who are beginning to extort the gospel, who are even pimping the gospel out, not for anything else but other than profit, pure profit. And look at our culture today. It is a booming business for self-help books that are Christian, for Christian authors, for Christian artists, for books and albums and knickknacks and belt buckles and tattoos. It is a, it is a booming business for profit and godliness. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about. And when you write and you read through the Bible, you see there's a clear pattern. The Bible gives you a warning, and then it says, avoid this. Here's something, here's something wrong. Avoid it. you read through anywhere in the Bible, it says, here's something wrong, avoid it, wrong, avoid it, wrong, avoid it. And you would think that Paul, writing to Timothy, he just said, look at these people, they're perverting godliness for profit, for money. You would think that his next statement would be what? Avoid profit. Avoid money. Avoid possessions. Avoid gain. But that's not what Paul says in verse 6. 5. Hear these people abusing godliness for profit. And then in verse 6, he says, but, but, godliness with contentment is gain. This is phenomenal. The world would say, even a lot of believers, true believers, have the misunderstanding that we cannot have profit or gain. Businessmen struggle who are Christians all the time with how far to expand their business. What's what's responsible? What's greedy? Christian families all the time try to, 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 to work through birthday and Christmas presents. What's responsible? What's greedy? What's sinful? It is a struggle for the Christian because we live in a material culture. But Paul doesn't say, avoid profit, avoid gain. He says, the greatest gain is contentment in God. You can have gain. You can have things as long as your contentment is In God, there's nothing wrong with profit. There's nothing wrong with being a Christian artist or a Christian author. The danger in that comes when a Christian author has a book deal and they don't have ideas and they begin to peddle opinions and begin to peddle things just for the sake of meeting a deadline. And they put out books so books can be sold, and they, 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 they're focused more on building their brand as an author than on ministering to people. That's where the danger comes in being a Christian artist or a Christian author, when it becomes more about building a brand and paying the bills than ministering to people. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, beware of these people who exploit the gospel for pure profit. But don't think profit is bad, because profit Is great in godliness if you're content in God. He's not saying that Christians have to be poor. And he's not saying that rich people can't be Christians. He's not saying that. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. He's not saying that people, that in order to be a true believer, you have to have nothing. And he's not saying that in order to be a true believer, you can't be rich. He's not saying that. What he is saying clearly in this passage is that wealth, wealth, begins to severely restrict one's dependence on God. That's what he's saying. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with, with, ha- with getting a big paycheck. Let me, let me step back and say this. No one can judge your relationship to money by how much money you make. They judge your relationship with money by how you use it. If you make money great, how do you use it to further the kingdom of God? How do you use it to build up God's kingdom and reap his glory? That's what Paul is saying here. It's not about how much you make, it's about how you use what you make. Are you content in God first? I'm sorry, did I scare your child? I apologize. I do get somewhat, somewhat demonstrative. I apologize when I preach. So again, this passage is talking to two groups. One of people who desire to be rich and one of people who are rich. Two groups, two warnings. How do we live as people in this culture with these desires? So let's look at the first starting in verse 7. The first warning to the group who desires to be rich above anything else. They desire wealth. They want it for the fame and the fortune and the notoriety. And they want it for the power and the influence and the symbol. That's why they want wealth. For the luxuries that it can afford them. Verse 7, he says, For he brought nothing into the world And we cannot take anything out of the world. The first warning to people who desire to be rich is you can't take it with you. And in preparing for this, I came across a quote, and I don't know who it's attributed to. Some people attribute it to Piper. Piper himself attributes attributes it to a guy named Flossie O'Connor. Side note, that's a pretty cool name, Flossie so, and I've seen Denzel Washington use this quote in a graduation commencement speech. Let me tell you what the warning... Let me summarize this warning of Paul. You can't take it with you by using this quote. There are no U-Hauls behind Hearsts. You can't take it with you. If you're a history buff, and you'd have to be a real big history buff to know this person... Howard Carter, 1922. If you're a life group leader, we all know who this is because I wrote about it a few months ago in our life groups. Howard Carter, archaeologist. He's most notably known and understood for discovering King Tut's tomb. It was an Egyptian belief and practice that whatever was put in your tomb with you went through with you to the next world. It went through with you to your eternal destination or in their perspective, where you would go next before you go somewhere else and somewhere else which we know is not biblical. I don't, know Howard, I don't know Howard's state in life. I don't know his faith. I don't know if he was a believer or not. But I can tell you that this discovery is, is a great tool to enforce, reinforce this message. Because when he, when he found this tomb and they broke the doors down they went in to find this tomb of this person of the Egyptian empire, this ruler... The belief is that everything that was buried with you would go through with you. Guess what he found? Everything he worked his life for to accrue. The gold, the jewelry, everything was still in the tomb. And so whether we know Howard Carter's faith or not, I don't know. But I do know that's a great example that what we earn here cannot go through with us, it's, it stays here. It stays here. If you spend your life accumulating these things, you've wasted your life. If that's your goal, if that's your aim, if that's what you are, you're not content in God and you've wasted your life. Now, when I preach or teach, I often find myself trying to look at this from the perspective of the person who may be the skeptic, the person who may not believe what I'm saying, or may not agree with what I'm saying, so let me let me present a possible objection to what I'm saying, and that is that, well, Jason, I agree with what you're saying, but that's not me, because I am, I am accruing things, not for me, but so I can pass them on to my children, that I can leave them an inheritance, so they can be wealthy and comfortable, that they won't have to worry about their bills, that I can work hard and give that to them, and is that not a part of what we want to do as parents to make our children's lives easier. But let me tell you this, and I would direct your attention back to verse 9. If you desire to leave your children a monetary inheritance while neglecting to instill in them a godly inheritance, you are paving the way to verse 9. But those who desire to be rich and fall into temptation, to a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If it is your aim in life to accrue things to give to your children, and you neglect teaching them the fundamentals of Christianity, the fundamentals of faith in God, walking with God, you have failed them. You have neglected your parental influence and you have paved the way for them to embrace the world, to embrace materialism, to ruin and destruction. How scary is that as a parent? There's nothing, don't misunderstand misunderstand me, there's nothing wrong with leaving your children something, with leaving them property or money. There's nothing wrong with that, but if you do that at the expense of discipling them so they know that that is not their hope. You've failed them, and you've paved the way for them to ruin and destruction, as verse 9 says. What a sober warning to our efforts and how trivial they can be. I think that fell off. So let me take a step back and say to the person who objects in that manner, do you really want to leave your children a legacy, an inheritance? Do you want to leave them something that's going to last? Let's look at Scripture. We don't have these up here. Just write these down for the sake of time. Just write these down. Psalm 112, 1 through 3. Psalm 112, 1 through 3 says this. Praise the Lord. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring... The one who fears God and delights in God's commandments, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness will endure forever. That's the legacy you want to leave your children. That's the inheritance you want to give your children, not one of money. The one of money and property and wealth, that's secondary. It's peripheral to your contentment in God. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, 4-7 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them as you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What other time is there? When I lie down, when I rise, when I walk, when I sit, what else am I doing? We don't float. He described every instance of what we do, and he says it should be noted by the commandments of God, our contentment in God. That's the inheritance. You strive to leave your children. 3 John 3-4, there's only one chapter, verses 3-4. 3 John says this, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified about the truth, as you indeed are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the faith. That is the inheritance you should strive for. That your children are walking in the faith. And then if you can leave them something, yes, that they know how to use it and wield it for God's glory and his kingdom. But leaving them money without the godly inheritance paves the way to ruin and destruction. What a sobering truth. Shocking, in fact. In our culture. If parents spent as much time checking on their children's spiritual development, discipling them, loving them, teaching, reading the Bible, praying with them, as they do checking on their daily returns on their 401K, our, our world, nay our church, would be much better off. Our children my classroom as a teacher would be much better off. The second warning is in verse 8. But if we have food for clothing, then these, in, with these, in these, we will be content. If we have food for clothing, we'll be content. Paul is saying it's okay to have gain and profit if you're content in having your needs met. If you're content in having your needs met, it's okay to have profit. But when the profit becomes your goal and you lose sight of that your needs are met, and it's just more and more and more and more, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. And the warning here is that we, as believers, we cannot improve our portion with Christ by owning things. You can't improve your portion or your position in Christ by owning stuff. But having things, doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Hebrews 3, 5 through 6 reiterates this. The author of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Do you want to invest in your child's future? Then give him something that won't fade away. A contentment in God. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pursue that for an inheritance. Let's be content in that because it will never leave us. We will never be wanting. It is fulfilling. He is our portion in everything. We just sang about it. He's our inheritance, he's our portion. Everything is in him. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this next verse, because it's the verse for our life group study. But a great example of this is the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. I'm going to read this. Um, this will be the main passage for your, your life group study this week. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I, know how to be, and I know how to abound. In any and every need, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Paul, tell me the secret, please. You know the secret of being content in hunger or in need, in plenty or in want. What is the secret? Verse 13 can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret to contentment. Know that everything comes through Christ. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. He is the author of everything that is good and perfect. And that is what we should be content in, not stuff. Not stuff. It will leave you empty. And you will leave it Behind, no matter what we face as Christians. Paul is saying in this in Philippians 4, he's saying what I face, whether I am in want, or I, I have in want or I'm in need, whether I'm hungry or I have plenty, no matter what it is, Satan cannot use my desires against me because my desires are content for what God gives me, for what He has provided me. What an amazing position of strength as a Christian to be able to say, yes, I'm ambitious. Yes, I'm driven. Yes, I want to bring God glory. Yes, I want to be a good businessman or a good whatever I do. Yes, but I'm content in God, and I know that my desire to be a good businessman and make a profit and make my stockholders happy, I can do that while being content in God and bringing him glory. That's an amazing perspective to have. Contentment in God. It's not new. It's not revolutionary. It's biblical. Contentment in God. And that Satan cannot use our desires and ambitions and motivations to steer us into trouble. Because we can say, I'm content in God. I don't have to have that. Let me ask you this question. If you lost everything, if you lost everything, would you still have your identity? And if the the answer is no, then you're living for the world. Hear this, if nothing else. Hear this, if, if nothing else. I hope you hear a lot of else, but if nothing else, hear this. All the evil that you see in this world, the greed, the selfishness, The dishonesty, the manipulation, the perversion, everything you see in this world, all the evil is not because our desires are so strong that it's pull us that direction. That's false. The evil does not come because your desires are so strong, it comes because your desires are too weak to wait for what God has promised. Our desires and hope should be in him. And when it is, you can wait. You can see the promise of future glory and know that is my hope. That is my contentment. It's not because your desires are so strong. It's because they're too weak. Wait for God. Wait for his provision. The third warning. Verses 9 and 10. He says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice here, it doesn't say that the sin is the possession of money. What's the sin here? The love of money doesn't have anything to do with how much you make. It has to do with how you use what you make. Do you love it? Or are you a conduit for what God has given you? It's okay to have money. The litmus test is how are you using it to build God's kingdom? It's the desire to be rich that's condemned here. And notice also it's just the beginning. Notice in verse nine he says this. In verse nine and ten he talks about it's just the beginning that it leads people to fall into all types, all types of evils, all types of the cravings. These cravings, these cravings, lead us to fall into all kinds of evil. This is just the beginning. The love of money leads you to all kinds of evil. Contentment in God wards all that off. verse 10 explicitly says, do not love money. Not an indictment on possessing money. And I want to look specifically at the word craving here. Craving, craving. It's a unique word. When I think of cravings, I looked it up. And cravings are something that's this intense desire, almost like this apocalyptic blackout, like it's all you can focus on. But what happens when you have a craving for, let's say, chocolate? What happens when you go and you have your fill of chocolate? What happens? You're full, and then you turn away from it, and you go about your way. Until that desire comes back. And then you go and you fill yourself again. I do not want to crave God. I want to want Him every minute and every second of the day. I don't want to get my fill of God and then go about my way until I feel empty and then come back. I want to know Him every second, every minute of every day. And I want to be with Him all the time. That's what our contentment is, is only that He is satisfying. I don't want to crave Him. One of my biggest I say pet peeves, it it, it frustrates me when I'm teaching about fasting or I'm teaching or discipling people and and we get this discussion about how you fast and and inevitably it's this spiritual saying. Everybody wants to be super spiritual. It's like, well, I want to hunger for God like I hunger for food. No, you don't. And don't ever wish that on yourselves. Here's why. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're full, you leave. The more food you have, The sicker you're going to get once you surpass being full, you're full, you can't get more. And the longer you go without food, the hungrier you get. Your walk with God should be and is designed to be the exact opposite. The longer you go without spending time with God, the easier it is to not spend time with God. And the more you spend time with God, you have this insatiable, unquenching appetite to know him and to love him and to spend time with him. Don't ever wish that you crave God like you crave food. Want to know God every second of every day. Don't crave him. Don't have these uncontrollable urges. Controlled contentment to know God in everything you do and say and believe. That's what this passage is talking about. Piper has a good quote summarizing this. He says, A godliness that overcomes the craving for physical wealth is a godliness that produces spiritual wealth. Just think about that. A godliness that can give you the power to overcome the desires to be wealthy in this world, that godliness is the godliness that will produce spiritual wealth in you. Rising up to leave an inheritance for the people love. That is what we should strive for. So that's the warning to those who want to be rich. Those who desire wealth above everything else. Paul says, be careful what you desire and here's why. Here is why. Now turn to 17 and 19. Same passage, verses 17 and 19. Quickly we'll expose these and we're, we're, we're close to being done. Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, speaking to those who do have money, those who have wealth, it's not, it's not quantified here. He's not saying if you make X a year. So consider the fact that most of us are infinitely wealthier than the majority of the world. Consider that. He's probably talking to all of us in this room. He's not talking to those who make minimum wage. There are people, other places in the world, who make much, much less. So he's more than likely talking to all of us here, the wealthy. He says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We just sang about that. They are to do good to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That last word, that, that, those last two words are so powerful. Truly life. So he's setting up this competition, if you will, between that which is truly life and that which is synthetic life. God is true life. The world is synthetic life. He's saying, don't be content for synthetic life because it will leave you empty. Be content in true life. Contentment in God. So here is his three quick warnings to those who are rich. By the way, this passage that Paul is speaking parallels very, very closely to Jesus' words in Matthew 6. 19-33. 19 through 33. If you want to write that down and look at that on your own time, I would encourage you to do so. Matthew 6:19 through 33. We don't have the time to go through that today; be a whole another sermon. But those are the, those are Jesus' words about what Paul, Paul said. Paul's just quoting Jesus here. I say, just don't memorize it. He is quoting the Jesus, our Savior. He's quoting him here in these passages. So the first warning to those who are rich. And let's not set up a dichotomy here. You can be rich and desire to be more rich. So maybe both of these sets of warnings apply to you. But he says very clearly in verse 17, don't be arrogant in your wealth. But He just slapped everyone in America in the face. Don't be arrogant in your wealth. It's not your wealth. It's God. Next in verse 17, he says, don't put your hope in the wrong things. Going back to Hebrews 13. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is what you put your hope in. If you find yourself in trouble or in danger, what wealth tends to do is we insulate ourselves with our wealth, with our money, with our protection, with our savings, and we don't have to rely on God. And Paul is saying Don't be that way. Don't trust in your money. Don't trust in your wealth. Trust in God. Be content in Him. When you're in trouble, fall in Him. Go to Him. Let Him be your refuge. Not your money and your wealth and your possessions. And then finally, in verse 18, he says this. Do good, be generous. Do good, be generous. There's a quote by E.V. Hill. My dad was a pastor. I was raised in the church, so no offense to my dad. Probably one of the first sermons I ever heard, difference between listening and hearing, was when I was in my 20s. Um, I heard a sermon, a little cassette tape, uh, for those of you who know what those are, um, by E.V. Hill, and he was talking about possessions and materialism and he had this saying, and it just blew me away as this new Christian who just had this insatiable appetite to learn and love and study. And he said, God's desire for you. I don't want to paraphrase. Let me read it exactly. He says, we are to be channels for God's blessings, not reservoirs. What God has given to you, he intends to go through you. How many of us take this shovel and dig and dig and dig and get this massive, huge hole of reservoir and we just soak up everything God gives us, neglecting all others who are in need? That's not contentment in God. So let me ask you two questions. I've already kind of told you one of them. How do you know if you're a reservoir or a channel? How do you know that? The first one is this If you lost everything, would you still have your identity? If the answer is no, you're a reservoir if your identity is tied up in what you have and not your faith in Christ, you're a reservoir. And you're living and blinded by the lies of the world. And that is scary. And the second one is this. Are you convinced that the only way to sin and be disobedient with money is stealing? Because most of us, that's how we think. We don't think that spending our money on the wrong things or putting our money in other places, or not spending it where we should spend it, is disobedient and sinful. And it is very. And if the way we view disobedience with money is the only way we can do so is to steal, we probably a reservoir. Because we don't understand how God wants us to use what he's given us. I'm going to close with this last passage and we're done. Psalm 49, 16 through 20 says this. Do not be afraid when man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, that's America. His soul will go down to the generations of his fathers who will never again see light. And here is the nail. That drives it home. Man in his pomp. Which means price. the The archaic word means price, value. Man in his price or value, pomp. Yet without understanding is like a beast that will perish. I do not want to be defined by my pomp. I want to be defined by my passion and commitment and contentment in God. I hope that you see the truth in this passage and you haven't... I always hope that my animations are never distracting. I hope that we see the truth here. I hope that that is what reigns true and supreme, that God wants us to be content in Him and in nothing else. That's what He desires for us above anything. Are we going to listen to Scriptures or are we going to say well, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm doing this, 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 this. Just submit to the Bible. Submit to the Scriptures. Submit to what God has left for you to see and study and know of Him, that He wants you to be content and not pursue the things of the world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, and I, I, I hope and pray the truth of this passage has been abundantly clear. That we would be people who would see the truth in Scripture and be moved not to say that that's interesting or I've never seen that, but that we would be people who say that is truth. How can my life match up? That, That this altar would be full of people. Praying for God to pry the earthly from their fingers and give them a contentment in, his, in their faith in Him and their walks with Him and their walks Him. That we would not reluctantly let go of anything, but they would passionately let go of everything except our contentment in You. You are our portion, you are our everything may we respond as such.